0: You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit largerstory.com.
1: I was sharing with someone that in the course of our several days here, Rachel and I both feel very, very strongly that we've been blessed a whole lot more than whatever little blessing we've been able to share. And we've received a great deal more than whatever Little we've been able to give, and that's just very deeply sincere. I count it an incredible privilege to be with you people. It's been a a very, very rich time for us, and we're just grateful. It's interesting that when you're among God's people, that you do tend to learn certain things. And um, as you blend different approaches and different gifts, you do learn things that I think will enhance my future ministry, and I would like to let you witness what I think is perhaps the greatest impact of this weekend on me in terms of the style with which I would like to teach. the word the 14,300 times. I thought I'd have the last word, never.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that. That's great. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs>
1: Let's commit this hour to the Lord. Father, it's so good to be with so many new friends people that Rachel and I feel so received by, encouraged by, loved by. So many conversations we feel entrusted with deep things in their souls. We're not adequate for these things. But we're brothers and sisters, and there's something that you've put in our hearts that really is good toward one another. There really is love. And Lord, that's a miracle because we're not loving on our own. We're very self-seeking. But you've changed us. You've given us a little taste of what it's like to belong to the God of love and to bear the marks of the family resemblance just a little. We don't do it well, but we are aware that there's something in us that's alive and it's a miracle of your grace. Lord, we want to be dispensers of that grace with each other. We'd like to learn more of what it means to nurture and nourish and encourage and bless And Rachel and I have received that this weekend from so many. We're going to be leaving tomorrow morning with a full heart. And for that, we're very grateful and by, as my wife and I sat in a balcony and didn't participate, but observed as the senior staff gathered around the young folks and prayed. Lord, what a wonderful time. What a good reality, as well as a symbol of what lies ahead for so many in this room to gather around some other young folks and to share. Father, teach us that maybe maybe we're on the verge of a tidal wave. Maybe your spirit is going to start with this little group that you care about. You care about this group of a few more than a hundred folks just as much as you care about a stadium full of 50,000. And you do great things through little people. And maybe this is the beginning of something The continuation for many, but maybe a fresh beginning, a new vision of something that is so dear to your heart that those that have experienced something of your comfort and have been drawn to know you in a way that only years and suffering and testing and trial and immersion in your word and hours on our knees can teach that maybe we could actually share that with others and believe that it's powerful. And that it's longed for, even in the hearts of young people. Father, I just was so impressed watching these young folks and seeing so many of them just smile as they looked at the older folks gathered around them, and maybe feeling nourished in ways they never had before. Father, teach us that as we age, our value increases for your purposes, or at the very least changes, but never diminishes. Father, I think of my grandmother who went blind in her last five or six years, and When I asked her what it was like to be blind as an insensitive teenager, her response was, now she can pray so much better for me. Because the distractions were less. And the concentration was deeper. And the impact that made on this 15-year-old kid to hear his white-haired old grandmother love you like that and love me like that, and how my life was marked by an old lady who was blind. In a way that maybe younger folks had never marked me. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you'll cause each of us to leave deeply encouraged with the joys of age, burdened by the trials and aching with the heartaches and still wounded in certain ways that won't be taken away until we're with you, but knowing that there's something deeper, more alive than ever as our bodies feel less alive that our souls are even more alive and can be shared. What a joy. Teach me the reality of that as I move on in life and long to grow old well and to finish well. I'd rather take this hour, this last hour, that I have an opportunity to share with these folks and take all that I feel that's uh, so full of a sense of inadequacy, what am I doing up here, and so many others could be up and share from depths that I don't yet understand. And yet you've put me in the spot and I'm wearing the microphone and I'm just pleading for your help. As together we look into your word, longing for your encouragement and you're releasing all that you've put within us. And Father, whatever hindrances are getting in the way of that, teach us to realize that these hindrances that sometimes we cling to are just awful. Because they're getting in the way of something that's so wonderful and you hang on to little grudges and little resentments and uh, things that get in the way and rigidities and staying comfortable in certain areas where we're adequate and not being willing to venture out of that and to release the fullness of who we are, the true self that lies within that you've redeemed and restored and are changing. Whatever gets in the way, Father, help us to hate it and to be broken by it and repent of it and for the purpose of emerging as your children that can bless others. Thank you for the time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just by way of introduction to my final few comments, I hadn't really planned on mentioning this, but it's something that I uh, thought of some time ago and thought it might fit a little bit as we share together our uh, my last opportunity to teach with you. I've thought a lot about what it means to be, a, to be a parent. We heard Terry talk about grandparenting. and Maybe the image that we need to talk about is spiritual grandparenting. It's an excellent image. And what, what's occurred to me is I think about a mentor, a, a spiritual grandparent, a spiritual father or mother, a discipler, whatever word captures the image best for you. It's occurred to me that there are three characteristics of an effective shepherd an effective spiritual grandparent. This is just a loose beginning to what I want to say. It's not the bulk of my comments today. But there's at least three elements that might help us organize our thinking a little bit. That occurred to me. The first element is a mentor, a spiritual grandparent, is one who is walking ahead on a path that the person behind respects. A spiritual grandparent, a spiritual mentor, shepherd, elder, is somebody who's walking ahead of someone behind him and he's walking ahead on a path and he's walking ahead of that other person in a way that the person behind notices and likes. They like the path and they like the way it's being walked on. Who do you have in your life that you've looked to? That you've, you've watched them walk the path and you've said, I like the way they're walking that path. It draws me. It, it entices me. I'm so grateful for parents. My mom and dad are 85 and 81. Just moved literally last week to a retirement community in Florida from South Carolina. And um, every child, in talking about the parents, if they're honest, knows that there are deficiencies. My wife's dad just died a few months ago, and we had a a grief evening for my wife, sponsored by our Sunday school class, where several weeks after her dad died, that we gathered around her, about 50 of us, actually 60, I think, and uh, for about an hour, she reminisced about her dad and talked about her father with a group that wanted to hear. And she was honest. Her father was not a perfect man. There were some real deficiencies, but as she thought about the memory of her dad in that group and was prayed for, and we sang a couple of his favorite songs and our favorite songs and to shared together in the memory of her dad, she um, she left that evening feeling deeply, deeply encouraged because she understood something of the legacy that her imperfect father, by the grace of God, left left to her, and I feel that way about my folks. I hope my kids feel that way about me, their imperfect dad, that maybe there was some way that that God spoke through me. And perhaps the way, at least one of the ways, is that maybe my kids will say someday about me that the way my dad walked the path of being a husband, the way my dad walked the path of being a father, the way my dad walked the path of just being a Christian, of serving the Lord as best he could, I like the way he walked the path, and it's a path that I... But I want to walk, and I think about my parents, I I, I think about that. I think about some ways in which mom and dad have walked the path that I just like. One of my simple memories is this, as a a kid, when I first got my driver's license, and therefore I had to drive, I can recall one Sunday morning driving to church. And uh, Bill, my older brother, was sitting in the passenger seat, and I was driving the car, a 16-year-old kid, and mom and dad were in the back seat. They were maybe, I don't know, 45, 50 years old, they were quite elderly. And as I was driving the car, I remember stopping at a red light, and uh, as a new driver, you know, you're very careful, and looking in the rearview mirror and checking all the things. And, and as I was ready to move on the green light, I checked the rearview mirror, and I saw my parents in the back seat. I saw Dad having his arm around Mother and pulling her to him and giving her a little kiss. And I remember thinking, at your age... <laughs> But I remember liking the way they loved each other. That was a path that I liked. We're going to be mentoring people if we're walking a path, not because we're trying to impress anybody, not because we're trying to work hard to be uh, noticed for what we do, but just because we're trying to live honestly before the Lord. And if somebody notices the way we're walking a path and says, I like the way they're walking that path, I like the path, then maybe we're doing a part of what fathering and mothering is all about, element one. Element two... This spiritual discipler, this shepherd, this spiritual grandparent who's walking ahead on the path, element one, they're walking the path well, but element two, they every now and then they turn around and they look at the person behind them who's walking the path 30 years behind them. The person behind them normally just sees their backside as they're walking ahead and they can see that their shoulders are a bit stooped. That there is an ache in their soul, but there still is a joy. There still is a, there still is a bit of a spring to their tired step. And they're watching their parent, their mentor ahead. And they're saying, I'd like to be like that. But every now and then, the mentor, the elder turns around and looks them in the eye. And the, the person behind here, here's a message. The message they hear from the older person being said to the younger person is, is I'm really with you. You're on my heart all the time. The first message they hear, and the first element, is one of the most powerful messages a shepherd can tell a young person behind. The message is this. It can be done. You can grow old and experience the hardships of life and still love Jesus. You can experience the heartache of children that aren't the joy that you hoped they would be and, and still love Jesus. You can experience the ravages of disease and still love Jesus it really can be done see I've learned that from some of you folks this week as I watch some many of you who are my seniors and I and I find myself saying you know it can be done you can go through hard times that I haven't gone through yet and you can still give and you can still love and you've mentored me many of you this weekend and I hear the message of the first element it can be done the second message you're not alone it can be done you're not alone and the younger person behind says, I'm not alone. You really hear me? And you, you notice what's going on with me? And you, you care? You're interested? And again, the symbol of that this morning was just wonderful as four or five elderly folks gathered around a younger person and and just smiled at him and looked at him and prayed for him. And so many hands were on so many shoulders. The message, you're, you're not alone. Our younger son was the first of our two boys to get married, and at his wedding, I went to the back room a few minutes before the ceremony began and um, Kenny was back with his groomsmen before going out to marry. And I remember thinking about what it was like when I had gotten married so many years ago. Remember how nervous I was. I had rented a tuxedo that didn't fit. The trousers were about five inches above my shoes, you know, and... (laughs) And I thought, is this a symbol of, you know, is this not going to work right? I'm not going to fit this situation well. And I was scared to death. And I would to actually marry this girl. I mean, I've known her since we were 10. We met when we were 10 years old. Couldn't begin dating then. She was going study with Carl, but...
0: <laughs>
1: when the Spirit of God impressed upon her that he wasn't the right one at age 12, I stepped into her life and she was smitten. When I married at uh, 21, I was scared to death and went back to be with my boy and I felt a little bit like the like the elder turning around and looking at my 21-year-old son about to get married. And, and I remember um, walking back and he was with the other groomsmen and I said, Ken, can we go off just for a second and to a side part? Sure, Dad." I said, how are you doing? He says, great, man, this is exciting. And I said, boy, I remember when I got married 20-whatever years ago it was, I, I was scared to death. And, and Kenny's... What would you say? I think I saw your picture by Norman Rockwell. You saw my picture by Norman Rockwell. Where does it say the audience speaks? I didn't... And when I said to my son, I said, well, I was scared to death. His immediate response was, his whole face changed. He went, you were? And then he said, I am too. And we had a moment, a moment where I think he felt maybe he wasn't alone. That's the second element of a mentor. He turns around and says, "You're not alone." To the third element of a mentor. Third element is that after you have that moment of connection, after you, after you pray with the young folks in the edge core, then what happens? We, some of you exchange numbers and and uh, addresses and names, and you're going to pray for them, but. You're not going to spend much time with them. They, they've walked out of here, and they're not going to be with most of us maybe ever again. Well, is that bad? I didn't go on my son's honeymoon with them. We don't live... Pardon? He appreciated that? No, he asked me to, and I said no.
0: <laughs>
1: because what you do, the third element is this. After you make eye contact with the... Person behind you, and after you listen, and after you share, and after there's a, a moment of connection, then what the elder does is he turns away from the young person and begins walking on. What's the message? The message is I believe in you. I commit you to God. My continual presence isn't the issue, it's God's continual presence that's the issue. You'll be on my heart as I walk away. I'm not walking away out of indifference. I'm walking away out of confidence in God and believing in you. That's the third element. Message number one, it can be done. Watch me. (laughs) Element number two, you're not alone. I care. I connect. Element number three, I keep walking, which means I believe in you. You'll make it. You know, the clearest illustration I ever saw that in, in the arts was an old movie. You've all seen the movie Bambi? I didn't see it until five, six years ago when Rachel made me watch it. Well, that was the point, yeah. I'm, I'm glad this is my last... When I watched the movie Bambi, the first problem I had with it was I, I realized rather quickly that Bambi was a it was a deer, of course, as you know, but it was a it was a boy deer. I remember saying to myself, "Bambi is a boy?" I mean, would you name your son Bambi? I remember thinking they should have named him Bambo, you know, I mean. but I had a hard time getting over that. But after I got over that, and realized Bambi's a boy, and I guess that's okay. The last part of the movie, some of you recall that Bambi's mother had been killed by the hunters, and Bambi was in the middle of the woods, and there was a fire. And Bambi was in the middle of the fire, unable to get up, either through fatigue or wounding. I forget what was the matter with Bambi, but Bambi couldn't get up, and the fire was coming closer and closer, and And all of a sudden, the father of Bambi, who had very few appearances in the entire movie, appeared at a very poignant, dramatic moment when the father deer with the rack came into the scene and stood on the edge of the fire. Remember what he did? All he did was say, Bambi, get up. And I remember thinking, well, that's helpful. And Bambi's there, just... And the deer again, the father deer said, Bambi, get up. And then what did the father deer do? Remember, he turned around and walked away. I believe in you, son. What Bambi do? He struggled to his feet and he got up. The next picture is a time lapse and Bambi with the rag is a man. It can be done. Do you really believe in people behind you? Do, do you just worry all the time? See, if you worry, you hover. And you control Every time you hover in control, what you're saying is, I don't believe in you. You haven't got it. Nothing much to you, nothing much to God, frankly, and without me, this thing's a lost cause. Mothers, are you listening? Fathers, you too, because we're all like that. Do we know what it means to commit our kids to God and walk away? Not out of indifference, but out of confidence that God is a God who does his thing and we trust them. Take your bibles and turn to three passages that I've already either read or quoted this weekend and I want to use them a little bit differently this time but three familiar passages again John 17 where I think I've read every time I've been up front but one more time John 17 I want you to look at and notice a phrase that I think I quoted to you the last time I had the chance to chat and want to quote to you again read to you this time and Make a bit of a different point out of it. When the question is asked us, "Why did Jesus come?" We all have several answers, each of which are theologically accurate because they're biblically supportable. Why did Jesus come? Answers: seeking to save that which was lost. That's why he came. To give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. There are many answers that are accurate that uh, help us understand the full-orbed plan of God and sending the Son to die for our sins. But one element that we sometimes don't capture as essential to the whole plan of God is in John 17 and verse 25, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you, I know what you're like, father, ever since Adam and Eve, no one's thought you were all that good. But I'm here to display your excellence. I'm here to let them know what you're like, father, I know what you're like, and they they know, the ones that have believed in me, they know that you've sent me, and And I've made you known to them, and I'll continue to make you known. Why did Jesus come? In order that the love you have for me may be in them. As I mentioned last night or the other day, whenever it was, that maybe one of the reasons Jesus came was that so the deepest passion of our heart would be him. He came so that the deepest passion of our hearts, way beyond even our spouse, our kids, our ministry, our lives, the deepest passion of our hearts would be to know Him and to serve Him and to honor Him and to rest in Him and to be intimate with Him and to glorify Him. And the deepest passions of our heart would be Jesus. And when you understand the passions that are filling the hearts of each of us, as unregenerate people that then linger in us as regenerate people until the day we die, we realize that we have a battle on our hands to become more passionate about Jesus than anything else or anyone else. Because we have so many other passions that are so subtle that we don't even see. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Proverbs where is it? 20 and verse 5, I think, says that the purposes of a man's heart are like deep waters. What's that mean? It means that when you're in a lake, mean, in a boat on a lake, and you look down, and it's a 50, 60 foot deep lake, no matter how clear the water might be, if it's that deep, you can't see bottom. And when you look into your own heart and say, What really is my deepest passion? Sometimes you can't see it. The proverb finishes by saying, But a man of understanding will draw them out. What are the deepest purposes, deepest agendas, deepest goals, deepest passions of, of a person's heart? What's your deepest passion? when you get into a conversation and you're debating a particular point? your deepest passion to let somebody know that you thought it through? At that point, if that's the case, your deepest passion is not Jesus. What's your deepest passion when you're having a tension with your spouse? To get her to understand something about you? If that's your deepest passion, your deepest passion at that moment is not Jesus. Jesus says, I've come, that their deepest passion might be might be me that the love, Father, that you have for me, might be in them that they might love me the way you do. That the deepest passion might be, might be me. And when I understand the passions that rule my life at different moments, I begin to realize that's a battle, and you know what? I I really like it. Sometimes, when somebody else joins me in the battle to help me passionately love Christ in a way that I don't. First thing I want to talk to you about today is what does it mean to enter the battle for someone's soul to help them develop the passion for Jesus and to uncover the contrary passions that need to be repented of and need to break us. That's the first thing I want to talk about. The second thing I want to talk about comes from a second passage in Galatians chapter 4. And you don't need to turn to it. You all know what I'm going to read. When I quote it to you, you'll recognize familiarity with it. Galatians 4 and verse 19, which it's all the more striking, this particular passage, because Paul has written the book of Galatians, as one commentator puts it, at, at white heat. Incredible passion in Paul's writing in the book of Galatians. Why? Because the gospel was being tampered with. And Paul said, you won't do that. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What's, on, what's going on with you? You began by the Spirit. Isn't that true? How are you going to continue? In the flesh? My goodness, Paul's saying, how did you get under that? Now, is Paul just seething mad? Is that all there is, or is he shepherding these people? Well, listen to his spirit in Galatians 4:19, when he's talking to these folks that he's rebuked so strongly, but listen to his passion for them, He says, "My little children." a term of endearment, obviously. And then he says, for whom I'm again, not just once, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until what? Until Christ is formed in you. Notice several things about that. I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. An elder shepherd not only has entered the battle for somebody's soul, knowing that the battle, the center of the battle, is releasing a passion for Jesus that nudges aside every lesser passion. That's the first element. The second element is when you're involved with somebody else, to have your central ache. Paul calls it the pains of childbirth. To use a very strong metaphor, obviously. Some of you could talk more about it with authority than I obviously could. Paul says, I'm an, an ache. That's perhaps the most profound experience of ache that a human being knows. And the ache is an ache to, to yield that which is life and to give birth. And there's, there's pain in that. But then look what's coming. Yes! I'll do it again. I'll have child number two and child number three. Is the ache there? Yes, but look what comes out of the ache. Paul says, I'm aching. Well, what are you aching for most when you're with somebody? What is the deepest ache in your soul when you're with somebody? That they would see it your way? Well, that's what it's like in a committee meeting, isn't it? Paul says, my deepest ache for you is that you would actually become like Christ. I'm in the pains of childbirth till Christ is formed in you. That tells me Paul had a vision for people. First element, enter the battle for someone's soul. Second element, develop a vision for what they could become. Do we have a vision for what somebody else could become? That's the second thing I want to talk to you about. How do you get that? What does that mean? What does that look like? And may I say this just in passing, we'll return to it in a few minutes, but in passing may I say this, that the richest vision will occur to you when the person is furthest from it. Have we developed a vision for people? Do we think about that? I imagine if we had a chance to talk to the Apostle Paul and and could say to him, Paul, what's your vision for Timothy? What would you guess he'd have said? I don't know. I guess I want him to be godly. What would Paul have said? I think Paul would have said, Oh, sit down. Can I talk to you? How much time do you have? My vision for Timothy is, you know, he's a little on the timid side. I want him to be. I want him to be bold. I want nobody to despise his youth. I want that young man to to stir up the gift that's within him, that was in him by the laying on of hands. I have such thoughts for what God could do with that young fella that my heart is just aching as I think about how he could become this mighty man of God, and he would look like this. And right now, I can see the beginnings of it. And oh, I see some other passions and some struggles. And as the Spirit gets holds of him, gets hold of him, what he's going to be, I can see it now. Now, can you imagine if Timothy overheard that conversation? what do you feel like would it make a difference in his life who's heard you talk about like talk about them like that that's the second element develop a vision for somebody third element another familiar passage that i've quoted to you colossians take your bibles again and turn to it if you again you know it you may not need to turn to it but colossians 1 let me just read you the very familiar verse and then the follow up verse that i want to focus on verse 28 Paul speaking, we proclaim him, proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, in order that we may present everybody mature, teleos, complete, perfect, the end point, the vision, if you will, in Christ. And then he says, and this is the phrase that I love so much, to this end I labor, this is labor, shepherding is not glamorous, it's labor. To this end I labor, and it's discouraging at times, and there's hardships involved, and when the students come through our counseling program, sometimes the younger ones particularly have stars in their eyes about the glamour of being a therapist. Just plain old hard work. It's discouraging, and people don't cooperate and don't agree with your brilliant interpretations, and all sorts of things go wrong. You don't know what to do, you get confused, and you To this end I labor, Paul said. But he says this I struggle with all the with all his energy. What's the energy of Jesus? I struggle with all his energy. And then that remarkable phrase that I mentioned in passing the other night, which so powerfully works in me. An elder shepherd is somebody who, element number three, releases the energy that's within him. Three elements I want to talk to you about this morning. First, entering the battle for someone's soul. And, And most of you are so familiar with that, and I'll say nothing new to you. I'll just remind you of a few things. What does it mean to enter the battle for somebody's soul consciously and deliberately? And by the way, may I say this again in passing, as you enter the battle for someone's soul, that person needs to know that you are in the battle for their soul because Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1 begins how? Paul says, I want you to know, what? I want you to know how much I'm the way. We finish the phrase is this, I want you to know how much I'm struggling, period. Paul says, no, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. We get together and share our struggles. Please, would you please know how much I'm struggling? Paul said, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. Who knows that you're just fervently struggling for their soul, that you're just weeping in the middle of the night, that you're fasting, that you're praying, that you're agonizing. Enter the battle for someone's soul so that they know it. Not that you're parading it with any kind of pharisaical hypocrisy, but you can't keep it in. You just care so much. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for your soul, Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 2. So element number one, enter the battle for somebody's soul in a way that they know it. Element number two, develop a vision. Get excited about what Christ, through his spirit, could do in this person's life. Think what Timothy could become. Here's Timothy at age 25, 30, whatever, however old he was, and Timothy's saying, when that guy's 50, all oh my land, when he's 60, when he's 70, can you imagine what he'll be like at age 80? Isn't that something? Boy, I can't wait to be involved in that process. Develop a vision, element number two. And the third element, release the energy of Christ because nothing else can make it happen. Well, let's think about those three things for just a few minutes. Number one, enter the battle for someone's soul.